Welcome to Sparking Wholeness, where we talk all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. I'm your host, Erin Carey. I'm a survivor of bipolar disorder and a self-proclaimed nutrition nerd who loves asking why. As a certified integrative nutrition health coach, my goal is to help people find balance, and I want to help you find ways to spark wholeness in your life. For more information, check out sparkingwholeness.com or on the Instagram handle, Sparking Wholeness. And now, get ready for today's awesome show. Hey everyone, it's Erin Carey, and today I am speaking with Rena B. Patel. She is a renowned parenting expert, licensed educational psychologist, board-certified behavior analysis uh, analyst, excuse me, <laughs> and author of Winnie and Her Worries. For more than 20 years, Patel has had the privilege of working with families and children, supporting all aspects of education, mental health, and positive wellness. She works extensively with typically developing children, as well as children with exceptional needs, supporting their academic, behavioral, and social emotional development. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited about the conversation we are going to have. So before we dive in, I'd just like to know a little bit about your background and where you come from and and where your heart is in this world of wellness and emotional mental wellness. You know, I've been practicing as a psychologist for over 20 years. I love it. I love connecting with people. Um, I focus a lot on behaviors and why people do what they do and um, what motivates them, what drives them. And I think it's important... um, especially lately, I've been, um, I did a lot of postgraduate work in positive psychology because of everything we are dealing with in our society and in the world that um, we need to cultivate some of the strengths that we already have. And we all do. We have these great value traits. Um, uh, So many of us are optimists. We have hope. Uh, We believe in forgiveness and and um, positivity. And so it's really focusing and capitalizing on the things that we do have to help us get through uh, some of the darker times, such as this pandemic. And so I naturally, after writing a couple of children's books, um, started to pick up speed in the media world. And um, and that led me, I still have my private practice, but I do do a lot of uh, media contribution, whether it's through journals and articles to being on news and, and particular talk shows. And the goal is here is just to provide mental health tips that are practical that anyone can take away and apply and benefit from. Yes. And, and that's one of the reasons I'm just so excited to have this conversation with you because of your extensive experience and, and you see things in a way that probably not a lot of people are seeing things. And there's a lot going on that is damaging our emotional well-being and our kids' emotional well-being. And social media is probably one of the biggest changes that's happened in the last 20 years since you got into this, right? Oh, absolutely. It's funny because I have a 16-year-old and I also have a seven-year-old. And I remember my 16-year-old didn't even, you know, when she was younger, didn't even have an access to an iPad. I think it was the very first iPad later on that we had. So, so much is uh, changing. So much is happening. Well, the one thing I've noticed, um, just individuals' ability to attend, their attention span is um, is dying down. They can't wait. Everything is has to be right away, in the moment, a click away. Um, and uh, the best example I like to give over, over time that's happened in terms of media, not just social platforms, is that when you go to a movie theater pre-pandemic, 
the previews have gotten a lot faster. And the reason being is they know that they're gonna lose uh, individual's attention span if they don't show them quickly. Um, they're just gonna gravitate to their phone or they're gonna you know, miss the big advertising and marketing aspect of it. And so what's happening is this whole digital world has, um, I think, made us even more impulsive, more jittery, more anxious, and put us, um, uh, I think, uh, in at-risk situations, especially when um, uh, young adults and children who are exposed and, and on those platforms without proper monitoring. Yeah, and I just wonder, what is that? How is that changing our brains and, and our brain health with this fast-paced, you know, everything moving at a faster pace than ever before. How, how does that change things? I think it's, it, it does. It um, creates mentally, I mean, just, um, a, we call it executive functioning skills. Um, it's all in that frontal lobe area. Um, I definitely think mental health in general, though, it um, uh, elevates your emotions. It lowers your self-esteem. It makes you think twice about, uh, about your actions um, because um, there's a non, so many filters and, and you know, the absence of reality. You start to second guess yourself, especially um, multiple teenagers and adolescents who are still trying to find out who am I, you know, what, where, where do I fit in this world? Um, you know, moms who just had a baby are being shamed on, 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 online. And it's just um, bullying. Talk about cyberbullying and cancel culture. Now it's before all of this, um, it would only happen outside of your house. Now it's coming into your room. You can get attacked um, through different means of, of digital media. And so it's changing. Um, I Parents always ask me, when is the right time to give a, a child a, a phone? And I would say, well, what are you asking me? Are you asking me a phone to communicate, to dial? Are you asking me when is the right time to give my child social media access? And so, because I would recommend give that your child a flip phone if it is that they need to call you at a time where you need to be picked up, or is it that they really want to have access to Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, you know, Twitter, all of those things. And um, a child's brain, not till the age of 14, really has a better understanding of that impulse control, what I was talking about. And, and you can't take away um, anything that you put out there, right, in a digital world. You can try to delete it, but someone can find it. And so there you can already have done some damage. Yeah. Oh, I always, I always laugh and, and I'm so grateful that social media wasn't a thing when I was in college because I never would have been hired as a teacher for sure. <laughs> Because I think when you're young <laughs> and you don't have, like you said, the impulse control and you're just trigger happy with, with posting everything, you probably post things that are not going to go away. And it's not going to go away. Judgment call. And one of the tips I always give is if, even for any adult, anyone who's using it, if you're going to post something, set it up, walk away for about 30 seconds come back to it and just make sure, is it meaningful? Is it positive? Are you okay that it's gonna be embedded in this digital world? You know, is there some type of kindness and is it gonna make a difference, right? Like, is it something important that's necessary to be out there in this world? And it highlights you. I mean, think about the images that a career people now, employers look at. That's the first place that they go. Colleges look at. They know that children, students have accounts. And so while they're filled, you know, deciphering through their application, they're also looking at who they are on a, on a, in, on a digital platform. 
Yeah, yeah, that is very true. Now I want to pause our conversation for a quick second and give a special thank you to our sponsor for today's episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Indeed. Now, you know, hiring like wellness is just as much about what you say yes to as what you say no to. But it sure helps when you can narrow down the list to only the really great choices first. So you're not choosing between good and bad, but good and great. And that is what you get with Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality short list of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. Indeed makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast and easy. With tools like Indeed Instant Match, giving you quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your job description immediately, and Indeed skills tests that on average reduces hiring time by 27%. You can choose from more than 130 skills tests, then add your must-have requirements so you only pay for applications that meet them. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. And Indeed delivers one and a half times more hires than internal referrals. So if you are hiring, you need Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com spark. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com spark. Indeed.com spark. Offer valid through June 30th terms and conditions apply. Now, getting back to our conversation about social media, many of us are living with a lot of stress and fear. And even from a brain health perspective, it does lead us to being more impulsive in what we post and say. And then you see these commenting battles going back and forth. What are your thoughts on on how can we help adults and children and teens navigate that? You know, that's a really good question because any of us, we're not invincible and we can be affected by negative comments, negativity. And so I do think it's important to um, be realistic with the time you spend on screens, um, especially, um, you know, allocate a certain time, do what you need to do, especially with influencers. There's so many influencers out there who uh, who uh, are, are monetizing. I mean, it's part of their job now that um, they too are um, getting targeted. And I think um, it can affect anyone's mental health, um, their self-esteem, um, cause you to spiral, make you a little bit more um, anxious. Um, and you anybody who is online or on in this on this digital world playing any type of role needs to take a step back needs to have a reality check you need to go outside you need to um, connect with real physical beings versus just people online um, everyone's entitled to their opinion but sometimes people do share that um, and use that as judgment and I think uh, you need to be able to have a proper support system in place you need to have a uh, outlets to help in the form of self-care, whether it's exercise, gardening, reading a book, I call them leisure activities that you enjoy doing, I think is important. And you need to find that proper balance. And the reality is, is you're never going to have like a work-life balance. Something's always a give and take, but you need to be grounded um, uh, and find ways that work for you because everyone's different. 
Yeah, that's good. And, and I think it's, you know, for people who are trying to build a following on social media, because I know that that, like you mentioned, there are a lot of people who are trying to, you know, whether it's promote products or their own business, or, I mean, that's a growing opportunity that we have, which is awesome about these times, but how, how does that affect, you know, and going back to your point about leisure activities and self-care and trying to take a step away, but some people, they feel like they have to post every day at this time or three times a day or what, you know, it's always changing depending on the algorithm. Um, but you recently gave a presentation about that. So I, I would love to hear a little bit about influencers and this pressure to perform on social media. Yeah, I had a great opportunity um, to uh, do a talk um, with um, active for with influencers with talent who are, you know, many of them are struggling with mental health and wellness and trying to keep up with the demands of their partners, the brands that they're working with or trying to compete or, or, or make sure it's a competitive world. And uh, what I, the number one thing I told them is I said, you know, you best remember before you go into anyone who's listening, anyone who wants to become an influencer who is always straight to stay true to yourself ask yourself, am I doing what I started wanting to do? Is it purposeful? Is it meaningful? What do I want to gain and get out of this? Because you can easily get swayed. You can easily be asked to promote products that um, you don't really believe in. And it doesn't make sense. It has to fit into your world. And many influencers have families, their parents, uh, they've got kids, uh, they've got uh, friends outside of this. And so you want to find that balance too. I mean, they need you too, just as much attention, even more than you give to uh, your phone and creating content. And so plan ahead, you know, stay organized, create a proper schedule, put in your daily planner or on your phone, anywhere that this is your, you know, your me time, your time to step away. I think that's really important. And it's okay to say no. I think uh, a lot of influencers have this fear that if they say no, nothing's going to come their way. Mm -hmm. And that's not true. I think you have to be in control of the situation. And early on, before you take on a job or a partnership to promote anything, uh, whether it's gifting anything, just you set the rules you set what is what you feel comfortable with. I think what happens is um, be realistic. If it takes you two weeks to create content, it takes you two weeks. If it's going to take, you know, be realistic with what you put out there. Um, it's okay um, to say no. And, um, and sometimes when someone comes to you and says you should, um, sometimes it's okay to say no to that too, because that's their, that's their opinion. And I think uh, we live in a world where, um, it's hard for us to say no to things because we're afraid we're going to miss the next big thing. And the reality is that's not true. I mean, you're, if you're, if you've got talent, you know what you're good at, um, other things will come your way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's really good because it is hard. You see opportunities. You're like, Oh, got to jump on that one. Got to do that one. Got to. And, and because of this fast paced world we're living in, um, it makes it seem like everything is, just urgent, right? Like we have to post this now. We have to say yes to this now. And I'm glad that you're bringing that up. I think that's important. And how are you seeing this affect kids? You know, I know a lot of influencers and people, parents are posting pictures of their kids or using their kids for reels or using their kids for, you know, this cute little letterboard creation or whatever, which is cute. But like, is that having a negative impact on kids and, and their well-being? You know, it's interesting because I'm a big believer on getting kids permission. 
Um, I think um, knowing that this is an, an imprint, it's something that's saved. Um, I think I recommend for parents who use their children in a social aspect um, in pictures um, to, to when they're in a, a developmentally appropriate age to understand, ask them if it's okay. Ask them if they like the picture that is that is going to be presented because it's there forever. And um, and we are we don't want to make them self-conscious. We want them to be content with who they are, what they're doing. Be realistic. I mean, I, I, I do this as well as an influencer. I was given um, some cereal that I needed to promote and I needed to make, I wanted it to be as naturalistic as possible, but I didn't want to set up five, six takes on something because my little guy is, he's like done, I'm done, you know? I don't want it to be work. And I think, I think as parents, we need to find what's organic and what's natural and something again, that they would love. I knew he would love it. It had alphabets, letters. I said, let's work on some sight words while we're doing it. And so we made it fun. And I think you have to um, realize that they don't understand what's going on. So I think it's important to ask their permission where appropriate you know, and, and embed it into their everyday routine. Don't make it work for them because they're still children. You don't want to burn them out. Um, and it needs to be authentic. It really does need to be organic and real, something that you would do because children are going to be like, why am I doing, I would never play with this toy or, or why are you making me wear this? It's not something I want to wear. And so I think we need to be realistic in terms of what, as they grow, um, what's reality versus, versus not. And, and that those are those healthy habits because I think the end of the day, they're still developing their modeling behaviors that you're showing them. Um, it's all about being that positive parent. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, I want to dig in on this positive psychology, uh, because I think that a lot of people don't know what that is, don't know how to use it in their own lives, but we have seen so many changes in the last year, year and a half year, I guess we're still only at a year. (laughs) Um, but how does positive psychology play a role in what you do and helping to manage our own mental health and responses to difficult situations? You know, I am trained in positive psychology because I always was focusing on um, mental health and all the negatives, all the aftermath, depression, anxiety, suicide, self-injurious behaviors, all of those challenging things in a therapeutic setting. And I said, you know, there's more to this. And there's this, there's a great field of study in positive psychology because um, they talk about the capes, two, sided, two sides of a superhero cape. You can think about that. One side is all the, the challenging mental health issues that we have, such as depression and anxiety, as I spoke of. And then the other side is all the great traits that us as humans carry. We have a built-in value slate of um, great potential. And I wanted to focus on that. I wanted to focus on positive emotions and and, uh, and grit. Uh, so many times people talk about grit and, and there's a great study that was done about um, high school kids coming out um, of school and looking at their future success. And um, all the kids had um, you know, perfect SAT, great SAT scores, same GPA 4.0, but then they did this longitudinal study to say, well, who ended up becoming successful? It had nothing to do with their grades. It had nothing to do with their performance. The two traits that really got them and made them successful was optimism and Mm self-discipline. And so I want everyone to know that if you focus and capitalize 
on the skills that you do have. Um, maybe you were highly empathetic or you're compassionate or you love to laugh. If you continue to foster those skills, it's gonna get you through some of those difficult situations. In fact, there's again, empirical data that shows when you feel helpless and hopeless, when you engage in acts of kindness, when you do things for others, it actually leaves a more lasting positive feeling of emotions in you than you doing something fun for yourself, like watching a Netflix show. Mm -hmm. So um, there's a lot of research in this field uh, that's out there that, um, that we really need to talk about more. I do think, I do believe, you know, when we talk about news media, we're watching all the negative things that are happening from the riots to the gun violence, hate crimes, you name it. But we have to step away from that. Um, you know, we have to find those outlets that are also sharing those feel good moments, the things of um, acts of kindness, uh, the heroes in, in our community, um, our frontline workers, because that will um, help us cope and get through some of the difficult time. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And I think that especially because we are more inundated with information than ever before, it's more important than ever to access these tools of positive psychology. So how does somebody get started with changing the way they think about something with being more optimistic? What if they feel stuck? Like I, I, I can't be optimistic. I, there's nothing to look forward to. Everything that I used to love is gone. All my trips are canceled, you know? Um, what do you say to that? I believe um, motivation is key. So find a new habit, hobbit, hobby, anything. Find something different. Because when it's new, um, that's where the excitement is. Think about the first time um, you rode a bike or the first time you learned to swim or the first time um, you, know, you did a new activity. Um, that anticipation of excitement is there. So pick something that you've always wanted to try but you, but you haven't yet. This is your time. This is your time to do it. Um, so that's my number one. Number two is take the one minute to find gratitude, to find something that you appreciate. And it could be the smallest thing. It could be the fact that you can even look out the window and have nice weather where other countries don't. It could be the fact that um, you get to go buy yourself some flowers, something I love doing, just, just to make yourself happy. Do the things that you love and then identify and appreciate it. So a lot of people talk about going around the dinner table and talking about what they're grateful for, but I like to follow it up and, and mention why and how can we make it happen again? Um, because I think when you go through it, dive a little bit deeper, you're able to uh, have it happen again. I mean, that's the goal. And um, another great uh, tip I suggest is an exercise is um, write down your stresses, write down the things that are you feel going wrong for you or not making you happy. Um, what is it that you can take out? You know, what are those heavy things that you can take out of your life? But right next to them, write two things that you actually are happy about, grateful about. You're going to realize that you have more things to be grateful for than you do to worry about. Um, but definitely, um, if you put something on your plate, take it off um, and do a self-assessment. Things that are weighing you down, uh, followers that you have or that are bringing you down on on, on social media, uh, friends that are always negative and always judging you, maybe the, those it's time to kind of regroup and, and house clean <laughs> and, 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 and just start from scratch because you do need to be surrounded by um, just positivity, things, people who will lift you up and support you when you need. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, going back to kids and how our kids are affected, we can't teach our kids something that we don't do for ourselves. Right. And so how can we instill these habits as a whole family? You mentioned gratitude at the dinner table, um, but what are some other things that we can do to set examples for our children um, at school right now? I know kids are really drowning in school because it's, it's different for everybody <laughs> more so than ever before. And anxiety is high. So what can we do to support our kids in this po- positive psychology way? I think as parents, you first always have to listen and empathize and validate. I think uh, we tend to be jump in and want to be problem solvers. And sometimes children just need someone to listen and validate what they're feeling. And so it is using, oh, I see, I hear, that must be hard in your language. That's what a good active listener does. And um, and, and throw it back at them. And he said, what do you think we should do about it? I mean, get them to think about critical thinking and problem solving skills. What can we do to make this better? What are some changes? Um, We have to embed flexibility at a young age. I think it's so important. Yes, it's great to have structure for your children, but make mistakes as parents. Let them see that things don't go as planned as always. So they become resilient. They understand. They're able to bounce back. Uh, you know, it's. It, I love. You know, sometimes it's okay to be messy. You know, you just don't always have to focus on cleaning up. Um, it is important to do that, but I do think um, we have to have a little bit of flexibility because then we're teaching our children that just early on. And then, um, and make sure that you have that judgment free zone when they do come to you with challenges and problems and school is hard and it's hard for me to learn online and I miss my friends. um, Let them say whatever, especially what's going on in the media. They must have tons of questions, our teenagers as well, even our little ones. um, Create a safe space for them to share and lean in to whatever they're feeling. Um, Children at a young age, cry. And then the first thing we do as parents is say, don't cry <laughs> to try to start or try to alleviate pain or stop. But that's not the way we should handle it. We should just say, oh, I see that you're sad. You know, you're really upset. You know, share with me. Let's talk about it. Draw it. When you're ready, let me know. Um, so they feel comforted. And, and those are natural coping skills that our children possess. And find, again, those habits, those hobbies that they enjoy to remind them to do. They shouldn't be isolated in their room behind a screen. Sometimes it means you're going to have to email, you know, they need to email their teacher. You need to email their teacher that, you know what, this is a little bit too much. They're ha- they do have sometimes educators don't realize how much they're putting on a child's plate and I think communication with the school is important and um, and it doesn't just because they can't maybe physically see their friends um, which I know some places are opening up um, find other ways that they can do it find family time create that that's one of the greatest things I think that's come out of this pandemic is the more connections families are feeling we do game nights now that we've never been able to do before because no extracurricular activities are happening right and so my kids are home and so we're finding time together um, to connect and uh, they're missing vacations and things but doesn't mean you can't talk about memories and things like that uh, so there are lots of things that um, you can do to help uh, help your child through this. Yeah. And, and I, I really like that you mentioned or you emphasize the importance of flexibility because kids are adaptable and they are flexible. And maybe sometimes it's the adults <laughs> who we aren't as flexible as adaptable. And I would hate that my inability to be flexible is being pushed onto my kids, but I also want to shield them from 
excess negativity in the world. So how do we balance that? Well, I mean, negative exposure, obviously, when you're watching media and it, there's a lot of negative, just be mindful of your children being around because they're absorbing their hearing, your own affect and your own emotions. If they see you're upset and you're frustrated all the time, they're going to pick up on that. And so use yourself as a model to share with them what you do in situations that are that's appropriate. Use it as a teachable moment. Um, it's okay to be upset. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to make mistakes. I always say make intentional mistakes so your kids see how you problem solve through it. So when they make a mistake, um, they're not so focused on being perfect because that's not reality. Um, talk about, um, I always say there's a difference between when children come to you and talk about no one likes me, or I'm never going to get through this, or we're never going to get out of this. Um, really help them uh, decipher between irrational and rational thinking. I always say create like a thought bubble, you know, draw it out and two different bubbles and what's irrational and you put the stuff in there that's irrational and what's reality, you know, is it that everybody doesn't like you or is it you feel that one or two people are you're, you're, who you really wanna be friends with doesn't like you. And so I think it's just um, using things that are a little bit more concrete, having the dialogue, the conversation, um, when anyone is upset, it's not the best time to try to problem solve. I always say, let everyone deescalate it's okay to have disagreements. Um, it's okay to have varying opinions. Um, but how do we do it? You know, respectfully, I think having those conversations in your house is important as well. Yeah. And, and having open conversations about feelings, right? Like, do we, I, and I always question myself as a parent, like, am I helping my kids pinpoint what feelings they're experiencing is how, how can we best let them express, because I know for a lot of kids, they can't express how they're feeling and it comes out like their stomach hurts or, you know, they are having other physical symptoms because they can't explain it's an emotional connection. So what are some special ways that we can help kids identify these feelings for them? I love it. Well, my book, Winnie and Her Worries, talks just about that. It talks about somatic issues and what it means. And it's such so concrete. It's great for young kids. But I definitely think um, helping them identify that. They're great resources out there um, when they're young. I always say when they're having play, put a mirror in front of them when they're toddlers and um, early childhood age and just make those expressions and identify and help them label. There's some great um, emotion cards that you can access. You can create um, conversation starters um, to give them hypothetical situations. You can create them, do that around the dinner table. I think um, labeling emotions is very important. And then when they are feeling a certain emotion, identifying that for them, letting them know it's okay. Um, of course, it's appropriate. I mean, obviously if someone says that something says something funny, then it's appropriate to laugh. You want to teach them, um, you know, if they're laughing at someone who got hurt, well, we need to make, you know, we need to shape that and, and adjust that a little bit, but, um, uh, giving a, a safe space. And sometimes it's not just verbally, they want to communicate. I think sometimes it's giving them a paper and pencil, a journal, I'm listening to music. Um, I have a, you know, I have a worry box um, that I create with my kids. And it's one of my tools that I recommend that if they do have a worry, um, write it down, draw it out, put it in the box, find, we'll find a time to talk about it. So that teaches them how to compartmentalize. 
which is important. Um, I also think that um, when they have headaches and somatic complaints, they may not know themselves and you may not know as well, but if it becomes a pattern or if you notice it's happening after something or before a test or when they're supposed to go do something important, then you start to know that, uh uh-oh, is that something that they're trying to get out of? Um, Is it true that their head really hurts? Or um, do they have that nausea, butterflies in your tummy feeling because they're anxious? It's important to take note of all that information. And um, and um, if it continues, I would say if it continues for two weeks or more, um, you do seek out support, talk to your physician, talk to a specialist like myself, um, because there are specific tools that we can implement to help um, alleviate and deal with some of the underlying anxiety issues. That's good. Yeah. And, and kind of, you know, going back full circle to where we started, I know kids are facing, you know, we mentioned the online school, we mentioned that they are might be stuck in their room staring at a screen all day. How do you what do you feel is a proper amount of screen time for kids? What's the limit? When do we know if it is way too much? And now there's no going back? Or is it reversible? You know, like your thoughts on screen time? Yeah, it is definitely reversible. Um, World Health Organization um, pre-pandemic and COVID um, did have, um, starting at two years of age was actually um, what they had recommended, not 18 months, which they had before. um, And when I talk about screen time, it's television, it's anything, right? It's not just being on social media. Um, So I, um, right now, I I always have to say it's up to parents because I don't, we're in such a unique situation with online learning. But if it's educational, um, I I try not to count that. Um, I do recommend um, for 20 minutes of screen time, take a 20 minute, try to take a 20 minute break, like Mm -hmm. relax your eyes, look away, do something. um, If it's possible, I know some of the classes are longer, but just try to embed that. Um, Whether it's even in your room, look at something else, look out the window, um, give your eyes a break. And the other thing I recommend too is um, use the blue light glasses if you find that you need it. Um, I, you know, I've talked to people, um, I've talked to specialists who say that it does work. Um, I think that helps. Um, I know some kiddos are getting headaches by being extended time. And as parents, um, come up, talk to your children, talk to your um, teens about what is a good time frame? You know, um, for, for all digital in my household, it's just an hour max. That includes everything. That's just an hour um, outside of school. And we have a timer on our iOS, you know, on our phone that um, it locks the apps right after, you know, and so, but if it's something important, she'll make a request and then we'll talk about it and we'll say, okay, we'll extend a, a few more minutes. Um, but I think you have to be in control, but that has to be a conversation and discuss discussion and agreement. Um, but yeah, I, at this point, because of the pandemic, I just, there's no hard, fast rules on how much time um, you should spend on the screen because we're in a situation where they're doing social connections, you know, calls with grandparents, um, a friendship, Zoom, you know, Netflix, Zoom parties, you know, and so um, little kids are doing birthday parties. So you can't, um, we know, I do believe that children will be able to reverse, you know, go back once we have everything else open up because they're going to be engaged and distracted in a good way. Uh, but uh, but for, for right now, you have to, as parents, do what you can do, but do it in a healthy way. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really good. Because it is hard. I mean, it's like, 
gosh, I mean, do I have to choose between letting my kids watch Netflix or getting them to do schoolwork or, or whatever, right? Like I think a lot of parents feel stuck and it sure doesn't help the parenting guilt that we already deal with, you know? Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. That's the biggest thing is guilt. I think you have to set that aside. Um, don't compare yourself. You're doing what's best for your family. Um, and then just know that you're doing the best thing. We can't help. I mean, a lot of us parent differently than what our parents, how they did for us, because maybe we felt that, oh, they didn't do it right. Right. And we said, oh, well, I'm going to do this differently. I'm going to allow my child to do this, or I'm not going to allow my child, but we don't know if, guarantee when our kids are older that they're going to not say the same thing to us. Um, at the end of the day, you have to be comfortable knowing that you did the best that you can. Unconditional love, safety always first. You were always there, uh, open, you know, conversations, judgment-free zones. Think about those things. Um, and that's just the way to go. Uh, you cannot compare yourself uh, how everybody else or how social media is parenting because that's just a snapshot. It's not reality. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and, it, and I think with that, how do we take a time off, take, take a break from social media or, you know, lessen the addictive effects of social media? What kind of limits can somebody put on themselves so that they are present with the people right in front of them? I think it's important to be realistic with um, what you can do and start small. I think it's hard to do a, a fast stop. You cannot say, okay, I'm going to step away for a whole week. When you've been on social media several hours a day, you're an influencer. It's just not reality. Um, so you have to be realistic, create a baseline. If you're on social media two, three hours a day, then you have to say, you know what, maybe I'm going to start at 15 minutes. I'm just going to break. I'm going to be as efficient as I can find the times of the day where I'm, I'm not needed elsewhere. And then I'm going to cut down maybe 15 minutes before and then build from there. I think being realistic with what you can do. And again, asking yourself, what are your goals? Sometimes we get swayed into doing things that we, we didn't really want to do. And, um, uh, and just being efficient, you know, pre-planning your content, pre-planning, um, what it is that you, if you're going to look to see um, and engage and comment, it doesn't have to be 24 hours throughout the day, fine periods of time. Um, if you develop that positive and healthy habit, um, everyone else will, will join because, um, and if they don't, then you're not, they're not needed anyways. I mean, you want followers and you want people who are really get you, who are your authentic self who understand, especially if you're a parent and they're going to respect it even more because they're parents themselves. And so if you talk about that and let them know that, Hey guys, you know, I felt it was really important for me to spend some quality one-on-one -on -one time with my, um, with my child. Um, that's why I wasn't here with you, but I'm here now. And, and, and I think that just makes you more relatable. Yeah. That's really good because I think a lot of people do feel pressure. Oh, I either have to quit completely or I, I don't know what to do because I'm, I'm running my business on social media. And so that is very realistic. And I think a lot of people um, that I think that'll be helpful for a lot of people, including me. So I'm glad that I'm even having this conversation, but I'd love to ask you my favorite, favorite question to ask my guests. And that is if you could give one piece of advice to spark someone toward wholeness, what would that be? Ooh, I like that. Um, let's see. I would recommend um, do one thing that is meaningful to you, not anyone else. Find one thing that brings purpose to yourself that you find meaning in. And that, 
that will spark um, motivation and intellectual curiosity and, and um, give you a big, uh, just a reset and a jump start. I love that. Yeah. Now, where can people find out more about you and get your book and all of that stuff? Yeah. Winning Her Worries and My Friend Max are on Amazon um, and through um, Kind Eye Publishing. And then uh, uh, Rena, www, Rena B. Patel, R-E-E-N-A-B Patel, P-A-T-E-L.com is my website. And I'm on Instagram at Rena B. Patel, Twitter and Facebook. So I'm always giving daily parenting resources, tips, um, mental health in general. You don't have to be a parent. Um, it's always out there. I'm just uh, uh, message me, let me know what you need and I'm here to support you. Yeah, I, I love your approach and I just appreciate you sharing everything that you shared today. Thank you. Thanks, Erin. Thanks for tuning in to Sparking Wholeness. For more on all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul, check out my website, sparkingwholeness.com. Don't forget to be kind and subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts. And to be really kind, you can leave a nice review. I like those.